Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Accelerating Texas K-12 Education. I'm one of your hosts, J.W. Marshall, and we are so glad that you're with us today. And we're really excited for our guest. Today with us, we have Kevin Brown, Executive Director of TASA. And Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, J.W. How are you? Doing really well, thank you. And uh, excited for this spring semester uh, to, to be in full swing. Uh, before we get started with uh, some questions, uh, and today we really want to focus in on you know, school transformation, school innovation. Uh, but before we do that, if you could give our audience just a little bit of background on yourself and on TASA. You bet. So uh, I'm uh, in my 31st year as an educator. Uh, I was 28 years in public schools. Started as a teacher. I was an assistant principal and a principal, uh, eight years at a central office, and then 10 years as a school superintendent, um, predominantly in central Texas. I was 18 years in Alamo Heights ISD in San Antonio. Um, and I've been at TASA now for three and a half years. Uh, TASA serves all the school administrators in the state of Texas. Uh, we do professional learning. Uh, we have a lot of member engagement support services that we provide to our members, and then we advocate at the Capitol uh, on behalf of public education. So you have done all the roles almost, uh, and you're in an organization that, that does a lot of things as well. Uh, that uh, sounds like a pretty good fit. Um, today, we really want to talk, of course, this show is about how do we accelerate um, you know, Texas education, specifically in the K-12 space. Um, and we want to talk about school transformation and innovation. Uh, let's just kind of start off with, you know, from your perspective and your role, um, what's the good news? What have we seen uh, over the last year or so, especially through the pandemic, as far as maybe forced uh, transformation and innovation? And then in the more fun part, you know, moving into this year, uh, how do you see that carrying forward? You bet. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> anytime there's a crisis, uh, people uh, come away from it. It's a disruptive innovation, if you will. And it's been a terrible time in terms of the pandemic and people suffering and, and even loss of life in our country. Um, and, and it's been tough on kids and, and our staff. Uh, so I don't want to sugarcoat any of that. This has been a really tough time. Nobody wanted this. We, you know, there's a lot of bad that came out of this. Um, but there's also some good. Um, you know, I think that schools have become uh, very flexible in trying to adjust and help students based on where they are. Um, we've been able to focus more on social emotional uh, learning because uh, say, look, look, we need to figure out where are our students, here? Uh, where are students, where are they learning, uh, what are their social emotional needs, and we've got to tailor fit everything that we do to each individual child. Um, that's also uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, had an impact in terms of digital learning. Uh, I would say that, that it was clunky at first, for sure. Um, I would say that there's some difficulties with digital learning. It's not for every child, but there's a lot that schools can do uh, to really tailor fit to students using technology. And some students really thrive in it but it can also be a compliment to the teachers in the classroom. And so I think we've learned a lot from that. I don't think we know all the lessons yet. I, I keep saying, I wish I knew everything that I was learning uh, right now, uh, all the lessons that we're learned, but I know over time uh, we'll be able to kind of look back and say, okay, here's all the things that we've learned through the pandemic. Um, 
but I think it'll be a, a, a monumental time that we'll look back at and say, wow, we, although it was very difficult and we had a lot of bad that came out of it, there's a lot of good that came from this. And, and maybe uh, this is a shot in the arm that we needed in terms of, of getting schools to be transformational thinking um, and really personalizing for individual students uh, throughout our country. And you mentioned something uh, to the effect of crisis mode. And I'm just curious from your perspective overall, obviously there are certainly still districts in crisis mode, but would you say most districts are still kind of fighting their way out of crisis mode or are we finally starting to reach some kind of new normal? I think uh, it's been one crisis after another, um, certainly in the state of Texas. Uh, we've, we've dealt with a lot. I know uh, most other states have as well, but it's not just COVID. It's not just learning loss, uh, but it's the political divisions, the wedge issues that our country has faced that a lot of times we've been immune from uh, at the local level. You know, you don't see partisan school board elections, um, but we're starting to see those kinds of things. Um, and so definitely, you know, I think last summer we all thought, OK, we made it. Great job. It's so great to be in person again. We're excited. And and here we go. And then, you know, Delta came along. And um, and so we had the struggles with all the things and, and we did it while we were tired. Um, and then we thought, OK, we've kind of made it through Delta. Here comes Omicron. And so I do think that there's a sense that we're in a bit of a new normal, uh, that we're going to have to learn to live with COVID. Um, uh, fortunately, there's medical breakthroughs with vaccines, uh, with some antiviral medications coming out and those kinds of things that I think we'll we'll figure out and find a, a better place to be uh, than we have been in the last two years. Uh, but I'll also say this, I've never been prouder to be in public education than I am right now. Uh, this nation continued to move forward because of teachers in classrooms, bus drivers, uh, technology specialists, principals, superintendents, and school boards who every day in the midst of crisis were able to keep things going and take care of people. And I think our nation owes a huge debt of gratitude to those who kept things going. And it's not just educators, right? It's frontline workers. It's people like that uh, that are out there in healthcare and so forth. But educators were on the front line and we can't forget that. Yeah, and they still are today and, and they were before the pandemic and they're, they're going to be there as this yep. hopefully ramps down. And, and as my audience knows on this show, we pause almost every show to just thank all the, the teachers, all the administrators for the hard work they've they've put in these last two years and the continued work that that is needed. Um, and, and as you alluded to, you know, a lot of change has happened. Uh, what would you say are the biggest uh, changes as far as this is really a unique time in, in education's history that we can kind of have a clean slate in some ways to rethink the, the whole system to some degree. Um, obviously, technology is one of the biggest ones, moving to a, a core, a part of the core instead of a supplement. Um, what other trends or changes have you seen that you anticipate will be the part of this new normal now? Yeah, so I appreciate that. I think that, first of all, before the pandemic, I think there were a lot of school districts, certainly in Texas and I know across the country, that were really focused on transforming public education. And I want to distinguish that between reform um, and transform. Uh, schools have been reformed um, going back from the, to the 1950s, uh, where we took an old system, uh, an, an industry model, right, a factory model of schooling, where we try to treat all kids the same. 
we send them through the factory, we, uh, you know, uh, pound them to fit and paint them to match, um, uh, much like a Model T Ford. And that form of schooling worked well uh, for a period of time in our country, but we're no longer in the, you know, 20th century industrial age of trying to prepare kids to go out into the factory. And so there's a lot of school districts that have recognized that 21st century learning requires different kinds of systems, different kinds of uh, processes, uh, different culture of administration. Uh, we have to flatten our organizations away from a hierarchical positional authority to one where everybody's a learner. We need to be much more dynamic. We need to listen to our communities. We need to have conversations with the business community about where they're heading. Um, and we need to listen to students. You know, that's something that really we've done a poor job of for the most time in public education. So I'll take you back real quick to 2008. TASA actually had 35 superintendents get together and say, we're tired of being against all these bad ideas that come to, to us from the legislature. We want to be for something. And we want to talk about the future of public education. So we actually published a white paper called Creating a New Vision for Texas Public Schools which has been kind of our shining light in Texas uh, for the last 13, 14 years. And then uh, several years ago, we actually had Task Force 2025, which is kind of a roadmap for fulfilling uh, that vision um, in Texas. So we've had a lot of school districts in Texas really involved in let's transform our schools. Yes, we got to pay Caesar his due at the state. Yes, we've got to do accountability uh, and those kind of things but we're going to uh, declare our independence from the state and federal government to the degree that we can, and we're gonna do what we believe is right for children. And so those visionary superintendents and leaders across the state have been doing really good work to say, what do our kids need? And they've been listening to students, they've been listening to their communities, and they have come up with amazing innovations. They've come up with an identity that says that school is about designing engaging work for students that results in profound learning. Not a mile wide and an inch deep, like what you measure on a, on a standardized test, but something more than that, something deeper than that, something more exciting than that, something more inspiring than that. And because those people have been working so hard, those districts that have been doing this work went into the pandemic very well prepared to pivot to digital learning, to remote learning, uh, to looking at the whole child. And so in many cases, those districts, I feel like, have been very proud of the work that they've done. Uh, their communities are proud of the work because they've been doing it before the pandemic. For those that weren't doing it, or maybe hadn't, you know, and none of, nobody's arrived in any of this, but for those that may have been newer to the work, this has accelerated them doing that because it's the, it's the mother of invention is necessity, right? We're in a crisis. You have to uh, uh, go to where the kids are. And I think it's telling that across the country, when the pandemic hit, the first thing the state of Texas did was say, we're suspending all rules. Just go take care of the kids, right? And, and we're going to give you the flexibility and the resources you need to take care of the kids which I think is interesting and in telling that a lot of those regulations, a lot of those rules actually prevent educators from helping kids. And, and uh, uh, my 
fear is that we go back to a time and we're already there where you get all this state and federal intervention in schools that prevent innovation. Um, but I think that through the midst of this, you saw the very best of public education can come out, right? Feeding kids, going to their homes, digital learning, uh, which is one of the pillars of the Texas visioning document in 2008 is a new digital learning environment is trying to figure out how do we engage kids um, uh, in technology? Because we know that that's the space that we're, that they're in. It's not a panacea. It's not going to solve all problems, but there is a time and a place uh, where it's really helpful to them. Um, and so those are some of the things that I think have been exciting through the pandemic. And there's these, these uh, uh, you know, uh, this work that some of these districts did where they came out and said, hey, we know who we're about. And yeah, we're pivoting to virtual for a little while and then we're going to do hybrid and then we'll do, you know, in person and all this. But, but it doesn't change the fact that this is the way we envision public education for our kids. Um, and we're about the whole child. And uh, we've been doing character work. We've been doing work around social emotional learning for a long time. It's embedded in our DNA, and now we're going to just uh, step into that, lean into that in a, in a bigger way. I love that answer. And, and right along with technology, you're right, social, emotional learning, mental health awareness, character building, those have hopefully become part of the core and not yep. a supplement um, for, for years to come. Um, final question on this topic. Uh, so many good things, silver linings have come out of the pandemic. How do we keep the momentum going um, as a district? Uh, and, and how do we not, at the same time, fall back into the ways of 2019 before the pandemic, when, as you know, and everyone listening probably knows, uh, the student experience wasn't that great for especially a lot of specific student populations that may be underserved. How do we keep this positive momentum going into 2022 and, and beyond? So it's a very good question. And it's not an easy answer because what I would say right now is two years into this, people are exhausted. Um, teachers are exhausted. We're losing superintendents left and right. Um, and so the first uh, place we have to start is a place of grace um, and a place of empathy and saying, look, we've asked you to do so much in the worst of circumstances, and we're not asking for perfection. And we actually need to support our educators first and foremost. We need to um, uh, we need to support them with uh, social emotional um, uh, support, uh, with health and well being. I mean, some of the biggest work we're doing right now at TASA is on wellness for leaders, uh, just trying to take care of themselves. So I think we all need to 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 recognize that we're dealing with a continuing crisis in, in uh, emotional well-being, physical well-being of all of our people, including our kids. But the second part of that comes from, we have enormous resources that have been provided to us by the federal stimulus dollars uh, that are there. Um, and, um, and yet we also have this huge academic and social emotional need. And so I don't think uh, this is going to solve itself overnight. I think people are saying, oh, we got all this money. Uh, we should be showing huge growth in students right off the bat. We're not going to see that. Uh, you know, we erased in Texas about 28 years of learning gains, and we're not going to regain that in six months or 12 months. It's going to take three, four, five years. And that's a hard pill to swallow because I think we don't, 
We're not in the business of saying, eh, we'll take a break for a while. Nobody's taking a break. This is hard daily work, helping kids catch up um, and taking care of them social emotionally. Um, and so I think it's going to take some time in, in, in getting there. However, we've been armed now with some tools that we didn't have in the past that I think can help to accelerate that uh, more than it would have been in the, in the past, whether it's digital learning, whether it's now the resources we have around social, emotional well-being for kids, um, whether it's kind of the paradigm shift of it starts with individual relationships with children. You know, and, and, and teachers have been doing this for ages, uh, but systems of education have not. Um, you know, when I was a teacher, I stood in front of the front door and I greeted every child coming in and I tried to get a pulse on where they were and I tried to adjust according to where they were. Um, and, and the same with learning. I've got to know where they are academically and I've got to adjust to them. So it's breaking away from that factory model where everybody's treated the same. Same curriculum, same lesson, same everything, same test, same interventions, and really saying, okay, we've got five and a half million kids in Texas, or however many million in the uh, in the country, 35 million or whatever it is. Uh, how do we look at them as individuals? How do we help tailor the experience to meet them where they are? And how do we arm our teachers and our systems of education to be able to adapt to where they are? Um, those are big questions. I think there's a lot of answers to those, some of which are legislative, but a lot of which we can do in our own systems of education, in our own school districts. I love that, and especially the technology. Again, we've been talking about differentiated learning for 20 plus years now. Um, and a lot of my conversations, uh, educators are saying it's finally really happening en masse because all the educators and all the students are are online now and they're seeing the technology is not coming to take our jobs. It's here to enhance the teacher experience and the student experience. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about that as well, that uh, so many of these students have just been passed on grade to grade level and they've not built those foundations. Now we have the technology to help personalize the learning, go back before we can go forward and hopefully save a lot of um, students from becoming a lost generation with this learning loss gap. And, and ultimately accelerate learning over the next three to five years to where they're better off in the end than they would have been if this terrible, terrible pandemic wouldn't have happened. Um, final kind of question wrapping up here, talking more specifically about, you know, from the district level, what can they do to, to build these systems, to build into their people, to build the right culture that really supports and fosters school, school transformation? Well, uh, one of the things we re really believe in at our core at TASA is local control of school districts. We think innovation happens at the local level, not the state and federal level. And But for a superintendent, I really believe that starts with listening to community and painting a vision, whether it's a strategic plan or a profile of a learner, um, really identifying with your community what they hold and value important and where they want your district to go. I certainly did that as a superintendent. In my first year as a superintendent, we did an all call for everybody in the community said, we want to hear from you. It was a year long process. We had 252 people participate over the course of a year uh, and help paint the picture for what we wanted to do in our own school district. 
And then my job as a superintendent was to be the champion of that vision that the community had adopted. And so every single, you can build so many structures in doing that. But one of the areas that we focused on was student engagement. That was one of the big areas that we wanted to focus on. And what we found was we were a district that was really good at turning out kids that went to college. We're really good at getting good test scores. But when you talk to the kids, they didn't necessarily say that they loved school or that they loved their classes. They liked extracurriculars, they liked their friends, they had good relationships with teachers, but we wanted something more than that. And, and, uh, and so we really, one of the things we focused on was student engagement. And so what does that look like? Well, we started having conversations and, and it, you have to embed it in your system. So every time I had an administrative meeting, um, we put that strategic plan at the forefront of our meeting. Um, here's what we say we want to do. What are we doing to really embed student engagement? Um, we would bring in facilitators to help us think about that. We had to embed learning into everything we did. So all of our administrative meetings, half of the meeting was devoted to our own learning, our own conversations. What are we doing on student engagement? How do we have these conversations? We brought teachers into the fold um, into having those conversations. Uh, we started visiting classrooms, not in a threatening, I'm going to assess you, I'm going to check where you are on this, but how can we support you in this work? We found student engagement, when, it, when we saw good work that was happening, we celebrated that. Um, we celebrated it with teachers. We started doing professional learning days for all of our employees that were centered around student engagement. And we started doing things like, okay, teachers, everybody has a terrible assignment. What's your worst assignment that you give during the year? Take that, we're gonna spend a day as district-wide and we're gonna redesign our worst lessons that we give and we're gonna make them more engaging, more meaningful for our kids. Everybody's got a day where you just hand out a worksheet or something. And so those became exciting kinds of professional learning days. Um, teachers were collaborating with one another. We had design rooms in our school, to, in our each campus where teachers got together and collaborated. And we did professional development around what is really good design look like? And, and how do we make this an uplifting thing for teachers? We embedded student voice. Um, so every time we did anything, um, professional learning days, we had focus groups, we would listen to students and say, tell us about your learning experience. What's working, what's not working? And that elevation of student voice was so powerful. We even got our board to have focus groups. We did exit interviews with our seniors, got our school board involved, our leadership team involved. We asked every 13th kid in class rank who was graduating so that we got a cross section. How was your school experience from K-12? What were the highlights? What were the lowlights? You know, what, what are things that you recommend to us? And then we would bring them back after their first semester of college and say, okay, now you've been in college in the work world. Now tell us about your school experience. What did you learn? What should we know? And so it's this grand conversation that you're having in your community. You revolve it around your strategic plan or your profile of a learner. And you're not going around pointing fingers, but you're learning together, you're growing together. And then when you're successful, you celebrate it together. Um, and you do that with your board. You know, you go through each of these initiatives and you say you empower people to fulfill those initiatives. You bring it to the board, you have a conversation around it and you celebrate the good work. And you're also own up to the fact that you're not perfect and you haven't gotten there and you take some steps back. 
Um, but your job as a superintendent and as a leader is to consistently on a day-to-day basis be the champion of that plan, have micro conversations about it, celebrate it when it happens well, feel free to call it out and, and, and not do it in a judging way, but say, oh, we're not there yet. We tried and we failed. We're going to keep going. Um, and when you do that kind of thing, uh, it, it's amazing what can happen. I love that. And I have a good friend um, that uh, says it's time to put the public back in public education, meaning get the every stakeholder involved, right? Teachers, right. students, parents, business leaders in the community, um, you know, so the whole town, the whole community, what do we want our schools to look like? I think lines up really well uh, with that and um, and defining your identity. And uh, and I also love uh, make, taking notes here. I love uh, putting your 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 identity or mission at the top of every uh, meeting agenda to say, if there's nothing on this agenda, you know, lines up with that, that goal, we're talking about the wrong things. Uh, it's amazing. You also mentioned uh, the school board. Uh, and so I have to uh, say, uh, you, you've got a unique take on this. Uh, from, from my perspective, a lot of times you hear about, oh, the school board meeting and you're waiting for something, some bad news or yeah. controversy or, or uh, people rolling their eyes going, you know, oh, man, another school board meeting. This is going to be, uh, you know, uh, terrible. You actually believe that most school bar- board meetings can be inspiring. And I would love if you could inspire our audience and, and let us know what your experience has been with them and why you think that. And, um, you know, uh, maybe uh, dispel a misconception about school board meetings. Absolutely. Well, I think that uh, uh, school boards want to do uh, something uh, that's relevant and they, they go into this because they want to be a servant for their community. I think it's up to superintendents and boards to work together um, uh, to really identify where they want to go and to have a vision for their own school district, that identity. I think that does come in the form of a strategic plan or profile of a learner. You know, there aren't many newspapers that have a headline that say, school board met, no controversy, every vote was 7-0, wow, this was great. Uh, We know that the media picks up on controversy, but uh, as a matter of fact, and that's why we were rarely in the media uh, in my district uh, with the school board meetings because so much of it was positive. But when you have that strategic plan, and if you're working the plan and you look at your board agenda, I would ask people is, does your board agenda reflect what you value in your community? So for us in our strategic plan, we had 52 initiatives. Well, I that became what we met about in the board meeting. We put all the other garbage in the consent agenda. Sure, occasionally we had some difficult issues we had to deal with, but our identity became, here's our plan, here's where we're wanting to go. We're gonna report out what we're doing, how we're doing it. And I empowered people across our school district to be involved in this work. So every meeting was reports from those people about the good work that they were doing. Then the board's role was to ask questions, to learn from them, but also to thank them for the work that they were doing. When we saw kids doing well in the work that we said we were going to target, we brought the kids and we recognized them. Uh, You know, I talked about student engagement. We had a profile on engagement uh, every month where we did a little video. We went to a classroom and we talked to a teacher who had taken a lesson, redesigned it, re-engaged the kids, 
We talk to the teacher about it. We talk to the kids about it. We might talk to the parents about it. Low tech, it was easy to do, but it was a big celebration and we shared it with everybody. And I think that what you celebrate says a lot about what you value. And every board meeting ought to start with celebrations of learning, celebrations of engagement, celebrations of character, of social emotional learning, of all of those things that are important to you. And so I always came away from my board meetings pumped because we said this is where we were going to go. We were doing that work, reporting it to the board in a public way, and the board loved it. And it gave them meaningful work to talk about and to do instead of getting into the weeds on running the district or controversial issues, it was more unifying. And you can set it up that way. And of course, I felt like I had great board members. And over an 18 year period of time, we built in some really rich, rich discussions and exciting, engaging work for all of us. And they're still doing that. And that's the other thing is that lasts beyond your tenure as a superintendent because you've empowered the people around you. The vision wasn't my vision. It wasn't about me. It was about the community. We were doing the community's work, the board's work, the school district's work, and they, they, they've taken that work and they're doing way better than even when I was there. And that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. And that's how you build a legacy and how they build a legacy for the next generation as well. Well, and I think right from the beginning, getting all the stakeholders involved and, and really taking ownership of the plan together uh, probably, you know, uh, heads off a lot of the division <clears throat> and uh, and the, uh, you know, us versus them that can arise, you know, in a district uh, when you're all on the same page. And I love celebrating the wins as well. That's uh, so often taken for granted and uh, needed now more than ever uh, <clears throat> to celebrate even the smallest of wins. Uh, and give people hope. Uh, before we get to our, our final question, uh, one last uh, thing to touch on, the TASA Midwinter Conference is coming up soon. Um, give us a little bit of a preview on what um, y'all are gonna be doing at the conference, maybe what's different from conferences past, if anything, and uh, you know, why should we be excited about the uh, the work done at your, your Midwinter Conference? You know, Midwinter has been a highlight conference for a long time, and every year it just gets better and bigger. It's one of the largest conferences in the country um, for school administrators, uh, if not the largest. Um, we'll have about 6,000 people uh, gathering in Austin. Uh, we have a great lineup of general session speakers with John Maxwell and Inky Johnson and George Kuros. Um, uh, we have uh, over 150 breakout sessions. We have 400 exhibitors. Uh, but kind of like what we talked about in school districts. We are trying to design engaging experiences that result in profound learning for our members. Uh, this is a go-to place for people. Uh, it's not just a conference where you go and you set and you get. Uh, this is highly engaging. Uh, we've built, as big as Texas is, we've built a, a community of learners. Uh, it's about fellowship. It's about learning from one another. Um, it's about inspiring one another. Our tagline is TASA Inspiring Leaders. We believe that we have a membership of leaders who are inspiring, and we also feel like our work is to inspire uh, leaders and our future leaders. Uh, and we feel like Midwinter is like the culmination of all of these wonderful things. There's a lot of excitement. There's a high degree of energy. Um, and we're super excited to, to be together and to uh, learn together. 
And we think there's no more important time for educators to come together and support one another and learn from one another than right now. Absolutely. And probably uh, a good uh, way to get together in person and maybe curb some of that burnout and, uh, you know, get a little bit of uh, inspiration and maybe even a little relaxation to some degree. Uh, since It should be a fun time to, to get together. Um, speaking of burnout in general, what advice do you give to, to superintendents, but also just any administrators or educators that are uh, certainly dealing with that now or are not being real with themselves if they don't think they are, because it is a, a very real thing. And, um, and what is TASA doing to help, uh, you know, to manage that and, and you know, promote the wellness uh, aspects? No, I appreciate that. I think first and foremost, if you want to help other people, you have to take care of yourself. Um, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, you know, in the airplane, they tell you, put the mask on the child first and or yourself first so that you can take care of the child. Um, and, and we have to do that. Um, so personally, for me, I focus on I got to get enough sleep. I eat uh, nutritious meals. I get exercise every day. Um, I try to have things in my life that bring me joy. I try to reflect on the things that I'm grateful for in my life. Uh, we have a new breakaway leadership program for administrators uh, that is all about wellness. And we feel like the strongest leaders, the what makes helps you break away from the pack is focusing on your own wellness. I did that throughout my career as a, a superintendent um, and wasn't perfect about it, um, but we provide a community uh, to support one another, and we feel like that's really important. We're also doing a program as an employee assistance program for all educators, whether you're a bus driver, a teacher, a school board member, whatever, um, with Wonder Health that will be coming out uh, very soon. Um, but I kind of think in terms of being a boxer, uh, think of Rocky and or Muhammad Ali, and I've got to go into the ring, and I've got to compete, and I've got to make sure that I'm taking care of People, if I'm going to perform at my best, I can't sleep three hours, drink a cup of coffee and have a donut and expect that I'm going to be a great leader. I've got to take care of myself, be the best version of myself to take care of other people. And that's the way I think of it. That's perfect. And I love that you mentioned gratitude. That's so important uh, mentally to just be thankful every day and to express that gratitude to your staff, to your colleagues, uh, to your students. Um, it just, uh, it feels good. And, and it really is a lot of brain science around that. All right. We are uh, at the end of our time. Uh, we'll, we'll have one last question here. Uh, as my audience knows, we love to end on a, has, a glass half full uh, story or uh, just the final thoughts. Um, you know, let our audience know, um, you know, what, what uh, success stories you have recently or, or what final thoughts you have of inspiration. So I'm going to go back to our why. You know, I love Simon Sinek. He says, start with your why. Um, why are we doing this? You know, why are we putting up with all of this? Why does public education exist? Um, and, and here's the thing. Uh, even our founding fathers talked about the importance of public education. Uh, you know, the Northwest Ordinance made sure that everything west of the colonies, we had uh, Lot 16, where it had to be devoted to public education. In Texas, the Declaration of Independence from Mexico talked about public education. And in almost every state constitution in our country, it talks about uh, that you have to have public education to have a free society. Um, and, and so our foundings as a nation, this original idea of a democracy, which is served 
by the people for the people of the people is not going to exist without public education. And uh, we have to serve everybody. But more than that, we are in a human endeavor. We are saving lives. We are touching the lives of individual children. There's miracles that happen in classrooms across our country every single day. And we have to focus on that and we have to build on that. And, and so what I believe is that educators, every day they go to the work, they are in an act of patriotism for our country and our democracy and an act of humanity, which is helping to child, children to grow and develop and reach their full potential. Collectively, when we work together, our potential is incredible. And we have to reflect, America is this unbelievable place. It's this unbelievable country with all of these innovations uh, that have happened. They have not happened because we've had lousy public schools. They've happened because of it. And the future of our country is in good hands because of the people that take care of our children and our children are our future. And so it's really a gratitude for those in the trenches who do the work every day. And it's a reminder to our community at large of why are we doing this? We have to recognize it. We have to appreciate it. We have to support it. I love it. And, and I totally agree. And, and for me, at the end of the day, uh, if we can help teach our students how to learn and more importantly, inspire them to want to, to learn and keep learning, I think we've, we've done our job as, as public educators. Um, and, and that's really what's going to set up our students for a, a life of success. Uh, and, and to your point, uh, continued successful democracy. Kevin, this has been uh, an amazing uh, time to get to spend with you. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, carving time out of your day to, to talk with us today. Thanks, JW. Appreciate your work and uh, you be well and all our audience. Thanks uh, so much for all the work you're doing. We greatly, greatly appreciate you. Awesome. And to our audience also, thank you for joining this episode. We'll be live again next week. Um, we can't wait to uh, get your feedback and uh, continue to uh, provide really high quality episodes such as this one. Thank you so much for joining us and always, always keep learning.